0: Hello again, this is Tori Kensington talking, and this is the Optimistic Almanac for Tuesday, September 12, 2017. Ancient History It's the anniversary of the Battle of Marathon in 490 BC. It took place during the first Persian invasion of Greece and was fought between the citizens of Athens, aided by Plateria, and a Persian force commanded by Darius and Artaphernes. The battle was the culmination of the first attempt by Persia under King Darius I to subjugate Greece. The Greek army decisively defeated the more numerous Persians, making a turning point in the Greco-Persian wars, showing the Greeks that the Persians could be beaten. The eventual Greek triumph in these wars can be seen to begin at Marathon, and the battle showed the Greeks that they were able to win battles without the Spartans, as they had heavily relied on Sparta previously. This win was largely due to the Athenians, and Marathon raised the Greek esteem of them. Since the following 200 years saw the rise of the classical Greek civilization, which has been enduringly influential on Western society, the Battle of Marathon is often seen as a pivotal moment in Mediterranean and European history. According to historian Herodotus, an Athenian runner named Pheidippides was sent to run from Athens to Sparta to ask for help before the battle. He ran a distance of over 225 kilometers, arriving in Sparta the day after he left. Then, following the battle, the Athenian army marched the 40 kilometers or so back to Athens at a very high pace, considering the quantity of armor and the fatigue after the battle. In order to head off the Persian force sailing around Cape Sounion. They arrived back in the late afternoon, in time to see the Persian ships turn away from Athens, thus completing the Athenian victory. Later in popular imagination, these two events became confused with each other, leading to a legendary but inaccurate version of the events. This myth has Pheidippides running from Marathon to Athens after the battle to announce the Greek victory, upon which he promptly died of exhaustion. Most accounts incorrectly attribute this story to Herodotus. Actually, the story first appears in Plutarch's On the Glory of Athens in the 1st century. Lucian of Samosa gives the same story, but names the runner Philippides. It should be noted in some medieval codices of Herodotus, the name of the runner between Athens and Sparta before the battle is game as Philippides, and this name is also preferred in a few modern editions. When the idea of a modern Olympics became a reality at the end of the 19th century, the initiators and organizers were looking for a great popularizing event recalling the ancient glory of Greece. The idea of organizing a marathon race came from Michal Burel, who wanted the event to feature in the first modern Olympic Games in 1896 in Athens. This idea was heavily supported by Pierre de Coubertin, the founder of the modern Olympics, as well as the Greeks. This would also echo the legendary version of events, with the competitors running from Marathon to Athens. So popular was this event that it quickly caught on becoming a fixture at the Olympic Games, with major cities staging their own annual events. The distance eventually became fixed at 26 miles 385 yards, or 42.195 kilometers, though for the first years it was variable, being around 25 miles, the approximate distance from Marathon to Athens. And in 1940 the cave paintings in Lascaux, France were discovered. On September 12, 1940, the entrance to the Lascaux Caves was discovered by 18-year-old Marcel Ravidat. Ravidat returned to the scene with three friends and entered the cave via a long shaft. The teenagers discovered that the cave walls were covered with the depiction of animals. Galleries that suggested continuity or simply represent a cavern were given names. Those include the Hall of the Bulls, the Passageway, the Shaft, the Nave, the Apse, and the Chamber of Felines. The cave complex was opened to the public in 1948. But, by 1955, carbon dioxide, heat, humidity, and other contaminants produced by the 1,200 visitors per day had visibly damaged the paintings. As air-condition deteriorated, fungi and lichen increasingly infested the walls. Consequently, the cave was closed to the public in 1963, the paintings were restored to their original state, and a monitoring system on a daily basis was introduced. The cave contains nearly 2,000 figures which can be grouped into three main categories animals, human figures, and abstract signs. The paintings contain no images of the surrounding landscape or the vegetation of the time. Most of the major images have been painted onto the walls using red, yellow, and black colors from a complex multiplicity of mineral pigments, including iron compounds and iron oxides such as ochre, hematite, and gothite, as well as manganese-containing pigments. Charcoal also may have been used, but seemingly to a sparing extent. On some of the cave walls, the color may have been applied as a suspension of pigment in either animal fat or calcium-rich cave groundwater or clay making a paint that was swabbed or blotted on rather than applied by brush. In other areas, the color was applied by spraying the pigments by blowing the mixture through a tube. Where the rock surface is softer, some designs have been incised into the stone and others have deteriorated entirely. Over 900 can be identified as animals, and 605 of these have been precisely identified. Out of these images, there are 364 paintings of equines, as well as 90 paintings of stags. Also represented are cattle and bison, each representing 4-5% to of the images. A smattering of other images include 7 felines, a bird, a bear, a rhinoceros, and a human. There are no images of reindeer, even though that was the principal source of food for the artists. The most famous section of the cave is the Hall of the Bulls, where bulls, equines, and stags are depicted. The four black bulls, or aurochs, are dominant figures amongst the 36 animals represented here. Each bull is about 17 feet long, the largest animal discovered so far in cave art. Apparently, the bulls appear to be in motion. Some anthropologists and art historians theorize that the paintings could be an account of a past hunting success or could represent a mythical ritual in order to improve future hunting endeavors. This latter theory is supported by the overlapping images of one group of animals in the same cave location as another group of animals, suggesting that one area of the cave was more successful for predicting a plentiful hunting excursion. Applying the iconographic method of analysis to the Lascaux paintings, studying position, direction, and size of each of the figures, organization of the composition, painting technique, distribution of the color planes, and research of the image center, Teros Grinot Hutuar attempted to comprehend the symbolic function of the animals, to identify the theme of each image, and finally to reconstitute the canvas of the myth illustrated on the rock walls. According to David Lewis Williams and Jean Clottes, who both studied presumably similar art of the San people of Southern Africa, this type of art is spiritual in nature, relating to visions experienced during ritualistic trance dancing. These trance visions are a function of the human brain, and so are independent of geographical location. Nigel Spivey, a professor of classical art and archaeology at the University of Cambridge, has further postulated in his series, How Art Made the World, that dot and lattice patterns overlapping the representational images of animals are very similar to hallucinations provoked by sensory deprivation. He further postulates that the connections between culturally important animals and these hallucinations led to the invention of image-making, or the Art of Drawing. Here's an anonymous quote on the topic of ancient wisdom. It is said that an Eastern monarch once charged his wise men to invent him a sentence to be ever in view and which should be true and appropriate in all times and in all situations. They presented him with these words, "...and this too Shall pass away. The Optimistic Almanac is made possible each weekday morning by NPC, the National Podcasting Company, a 501c3 nonprofit, which is funded by our listeners. Thank you. Research for today's show was by Lexi Caligari. I'm Tori Kensington. Keep the faith, keep in love, and keep in touch.